The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. As always, welcome to your Friday edition of the podcast. Getting you ready to go for this weekend's football game. Uh, 12.35 kickoff, ABC at ES, uh, at UCLA. ESPN's game day is there. Uh, Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreet, they are on the call. The nation's eyes will be on this game. It's, there's going to be a lot of people watching. And does this feel like maybe the, the, the fork in the road for the season, like – if they lose this, it could go south real bad. If they win this, it could propel them into a really good spot. Or is this just another one of those, just one of many big games of the year? I, th- I feel like the way they're playing all these games, and, and maybe maybe this will be the fork in the road game because they will play really well and it will feel like a turning point. But I feel like the way they've been playing before, even a win over UCLA that's close and like not overly impressive will feel like maybe just the way things are going to go all year, where even a game against Utah or Washington State or Washington or Oregon State feels, I guess, not inevitable that they'll win, which is a weird place to be because then going into the season, we thought they were much better than those teams. But I, I just feel like that the way the years has gone, it's kind of hard to feel like any of these games are going to be much different than the previous ones unless we see it. And we just they've kind of felt like clunker, 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 clunker. And maybe this will be the one where they that really it, things come together and it's a really impressive performance for four quarters from both offense and defense and and everybody performs well and they win somewhat decisively over a team people have some respect for and that'll be the turning point but um i'm still not confident that'll happen because we just have i feel like been saying we hope that happens for a month now and it really hasn't taken place yet this absolutely feels like a turning point in this season i think ucla is a very solid football program uh they're not ranked and no other Pac-12 team is other than Oregon, which is another story. But they're, they're a good football team. They can score on offense. They have an aggressive defense. Their defensive line has, has done a good job stopping the run, which is what Oregon's really good at. Uh, this kind of feels like if there's any hope that Oregon gets to a near six game, football playoff, something like that, this feels like a game Oregon absolutely must win. And will give them enough confidence going forward to maybe, you know, win out the rest of the way after losing to Stanford. But with the way the season has been going recently, like Eric has been talking about, how confident are you that they can go to Pasadena into the Rose Bowl and beat a good UCLA team? And I think that's my worry. Uh, I think that's a lot of people's worries, frankly. Uh, it's The last couple of weeks have been 
other than the Arizona game, it's been one score football games against teams where it shouldn't have been. And even the Arizona game, it was a one score game late into, I believe, the third quarter. Fourth quarter. So fourth quarter, excuse me. And that's just kind of the way it is with, with Oregon right now. And this isn't trying to be negative. It's just, just pointing out the obvious. And a lot of times people can look back in the box score and point out that, oh, you shouldn't be so negative because of this. Well, we can look back in the box score and see the scores of the games just in general and be like, this shouldn't be happening for an Oregon football team that is ranked number 10 in the country. So this absolutely feels like the turning point at the at midway through the season, whether it's good or bad. Because if Oregon loses, I think it can go a variety of ways for the Ducks in terms of personnel or just overall uh, atmosphere of the program. I, I think there's going to be a lot of back and forth in this game, in part because I think both of these offenses are really good at running the football. Um, and I also, neither team really seems to be really good at at throwing the ball either. Um, yeah. So this feels like it could have, like a, from a time consumption standpoint, there might not be a lot of drives in this game unless there are turnovers created. And it's going to put uh, emphasis on you have to be efficient, right? Like mm -hmm. Oregon's offense is going to have to be efficient. They're going to have to be able to uh, – take advantage of the opportunities that they get because because this game could go quick because both teams just love to run the football. And that goes into my next segue is UCLA's defense. They blitz all the time. They bring seven or eight guys every single time. And I feel like this is going to be a game that's going to shape up where, fair or not, don't want to go down this road again, but Anthony Brown is going to decide this game. If if he has a performance like he did against Stanford, they're going to lose. If he has a performance like he did against Ohio State, I don't see how Oregon loses this game. And because he, he said it himself, they have to make quick reads. He has to make good decisions, get the ball out quick because UCLA will blitz a ton. And if you do make the correct read, there's going to be opportunities for explosion plays, which offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead said – is starting to trend up now for this offense. Best game from a passing perspective against Cal from an explosive play perspective. They had five in that game. They entered with, I think, 13 for the whole season in the previous five. So that was a step in the right direction. You can argue that those were not like very long plays. Those are plays over 20 yards, but still those qualify in, in that regard. Um, I think that's key. I, I also just feel like Oregon really needs to be able to establish a running game here. Um, if it becomes a situation where they don't have success on first and second down and they get off schedule and it's a lot of third and seven to third and, you know, 10 type of range, maybe third and 15, if there's a penalty, that's just not a, a real situation. Anthony Brown is, is going to win a lot of downs. I mean, I think just point blank, that doesn't feel very tenable over the course of a game. I mean, you've seen whether it's making the wrong read or checking it down and throwing underneath to somebody who doesn't have much of a chance or prayer of getting the first down. I mean, it just, this has been kind of the consistent drama of this offense. So winning on first and second down feels pivotal. And that means winning on the ground. And, and this is, again, UCLA does two things really well. They run the ball on offense really well, and they stop opposing running offenses really well. And those are, that's, that's basically their bread and the butter. They win in the trenches, which I, again, this is where Oregon also wants to have some success. So I think for Oregon's offense to do what it needs to do to win this game, Travis Dye needs to have another really nice day. The offensive line sounds like with Alex Forsyth back, 
uh, needs to pick up kind of where it left off in the second half in that fourth quarter against Cal where they were getting all sorts of push and it was pretty easy work there for the offense to move up and down the field. Like if Oregon can replicate what they did in the fourth quarter against Cal, I'm pretty confident they'll win. But it's the question of can they do that and what kind of, I guess, challenges does UCLA's defense present that Cal didn't? I mean, the struggles of if Oregon can replicate their offense from the fourth quarter against Cal is that they only did it one quarter. Mm -hmm. It's not very replicable in the first place. And I I think Oregon's offensive line and their defensive line obviously are going – it's about all the trenches, basically, of who's going to win this game. And Travis Dye, like Eric said, needs to have another – like standout performance. He needs to have, you know, probably plus 200 yards all-purpose offense again. Uh, And – that's a that's a tall task, but he's clearly done it before. He has the capability, he has the skill set. Uh, Oregon really needs to find a second running back, though, in my opinion, mm-hmm. just because this UCLA team will be more physical than Cal. And Travis Dye, although he's very tough, he's a hard runner. He'll run through you, even though he doesn't have necessarily have the size to do so. Uh, you know, he's going to need rest, and that's just okay. But they need to have either Trey Benson, Byron Cardwell to step in there and take some reps and be productive. I think if they can find that in this game, that'll be extremely helpful as well. Um, lastly, I think the most important thing on offense for Oregon is to stop getting stupid penalties. Yes. They've done that far too many times this season. They played an aggressive brand of football, which is fine. I love it. I need that, honestly, for my football team to be aggressive when it counts. But the times that they have been aggressive, it hasn't counted. It's negated. It's taken away drives. It's taken away points off the board. That has to not happen against UCLA if they want to win. Mm-hmm. They cannot march down the field their first, second drive of the game, get within the red zone, and then stall out because they get a 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty. Just can't happen. So it's going to be a tough one. But they, they have the tools, they have the talent, they have the capabilities to get this job done. It just depends whether or not they can execute or do it. Let's go off the cuff here for a second. I get a sense that neither of you guys have a lot of confidence in this team. To win. No, I, I, they, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to have an unbelievable amount of confidence because they haven't shown it. We all would like them to perform as well as they did against Ohio State. They haven't come close since, so that's my issue. And for me, I, I'll also say I don't know if UCLA is necessarily like a significantly better team. I think the line is what it is, which is UCLA by two at home, which means on a neutral field, Oregon's a little bit of a favorite for a reason. And that's just because like UCLA, you look at their schedule too. That incredibly impressive win against LSU, which doesn't look as impressive now because they fired their coach. And I know they just beat Florida, but overall they've been kind of underwhelming. And then you go through the rest of their schedule and it was a tough game against Fresno State, who's since not looked quite as impressive. I mean, they played two Pat Pilt teams really good, got the win over the Bruins, but it's not like Fresno State's blown anybody out of the water in the Mountain West, which is a little bit disappointing. Um, and then obviously the Arizona State game, which was was really just not a really competitive game in the second half. So I, I, I don't feel great about what Oregon is. I'm also still not confident. And this is the way the Pac-12 shakes out the rest of the way, which is why I still have some optimism. Oregon wins the, you know, wins the conference, potentially. I think they need to play better. But I, I mean, I, I can sit here and say I'm not like thrilled and not overly confident with this team, but I'm also not sure there's no team in the conference that like blows me away that I think Oregon can't compete with. I don't think there is a team. I think they can compete with everybody. I, I'm, I'm going with the logic that all year we have said that this team plays up and down to its level of competition. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to say that when they don't play well, that they're playing down to their competition – 
I, I think I have to side with – I think this team's going to come out pretty dialed in, um, pretty fired up to, to play in this game. I think execution will be will probably be better than it, than it has been. That's not going to say it's going to be great, but I just, I just think that this team plays with its emotions kind of on its sleeve, and this is a big game. Game day's there. They're being doubted as, you know, a, a top 10 team on the road to an unranked opponent and – they're not favored, you know. I, I so I kind of expect one of Oregon's better games, but I don't think this is. I, I would be shocked if Oregon wins this game and it's a blowout fashion in favor of Oregon. Like they may have to come back in the fourth quarter to win this game, but I, I do not expect like a forty-two to twenty-one win by the Ducks. Um, no. That would be that would be utterly shocking to me at this point, in in, in this in the season. And honestly, like, is it fair to say that you know DTR uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, the starting quarterback for the UCLA Bruins, and Anthony Brown, Oregon's starting quarterback, is it fair to say that this game really could come down to just which one of these guys makes the least mistakes, because neither of them are really elite passers. Neither of them are um, guys that have had perfect performances um, over the course of the season. And I kind of just look at it and think it might be a case of just what guy makes the correct zone reads on RPOs, what guy makes, you know, doesn't throw the interception, what guy doesn't fumble the football, or, you know, what guy makes the proper reads consistently the most because they're pretty equal in my eyes. I think as players, they're really similar. I won't say I think Anthony Brown is as good of a player as Dorian Thompson Robinson. He might be, maybe we'll come out of this game saying he was the superior quarterback. That wouldn't totally stun me because I'm not sure, you know, really sure how good he is either, but what they do, they're both pretty similar in what they do well and what they don't do well. You know, I think neither quarterback has turned the ball over very much this season. Um, Brown has two. I think Dorian Thompson Robinson has two interceptions. He might have a fumble too. I'm not sure, but either way, they're pretty comparable there. Um, both are very capable with their legs and have scored touch. You know, I think they both have the Pac-12 lead for rushing touchdowns by quarterback with five each. Um, both are not incredible passers, and will have games where they just look bad. Like, oh, look at Dorian Thompson Robinson's stats against Arizona. Um, I think he was like nine for 19 for less than a hundred yards and it just wasn't very pretty. And obviously you've got some games with Anthony Brown where it's been the same. So I, I do think like, it's, it's honestly like I, I, people really have a lot of high expectations and feelings about DTR. I think because of what he is as a recruit and some of the athletic intangibles, but like, this is one of the games where I kind of think maybe Oregon ends up having equal quarterback play like if you get the worst out of dtr and some of the better out of anthony brown like oregon could maybe even have an advantage in this one at quarterback and i don't think it's crazy at all to say that if if like let's say anthony brown does have his best game yet and i'm not sure he will but let's say he does that could really just be the difference in this game because the rest of the game might be even enough where it really does come down to which quarterback can make more plays and and we've seen with the game on the line in fourth quarters anthony brown been very very good in those situations I don't think that this game will come down to which quarterback makes the least amount of mistakes. I think it'll come down to the quarterback that makes the most plays, whether that's through the air or with his legs. Uh, I think both of these quarterbacks, like we've been saying, are similar in play style. You know, they're not the best throwing the ball. They have the legs to do it. But 
whoever's going to play better is going to lead their team to a victory. And, you know, Oregon on defense can has the athletes to kind of compete with Dorian Thompson Robinson and his legs, not stop him. It's very extremely difficult to stop that man. But, and UCLA has similar guys on their edge to compete with Anthony Brown. Brown isn't as fast as a runner as Dorian Thompson Robinson is, but is still very effective and can, like Eric said, he's tied for the lead in fact, 12 rushing touchdowns as a quarterback. So whichever one of these quarterbacks can make the plays with both their arms, with their arm and their legs, you know, I, I think is going to be the main difference maker. And if Anthony Brown performs well, which we've been hoping for for weeks now on this podcast, um, maybe this is the time to do it. I feel like I've said that multiple times at this point. Um, we'll, we'll see if it happens, but he has the chance to really be the difference maker for this Oregon offense and this Oregon team in terms of their probability of winning the game. Do either of you buy into the idea, though, that like Brown and the offense turned a corner in that fourth quarter? Like, Matt, like, did you, you come away thinking maybe that is where everything turns this season? Or do we still think, boy, they, they have played crappy so much, it's really hard to feel that way? I think they played so bad in that third quarter. Um, and yeah. then everyone, aside from Anthony Brown and Travis Dye in that first quarter, didn't play all that well either. Um, so I'm not, I'm not they're saying that this team has turned it a corner. Now, if they come out and they put together a good game against UCLA, I could go and I could change my answer and go back and say, yeah, that, that fourth quarter was where was where something clicked for this offense. And it then carried over into the UCLA game for the length of the game. But I'm not there yet to say that one quarter in the fourth quarter against Cal is it. Um, <laughs> Jared just shakes his head. That's his answer. Fair enough. <laughs> no, I mean, we can look back to the Ohio State game. Yeah. We thought that Oregon's offense was very stagnant against Fresno State. Then they come out firing against Ohio State. And it's like, oh, this could be what the offense looks like for the rest of the year. Would you look at that? And then Stony Brook happens. And then, oh, Anthony Brown gets hurt. Okay, let's go to the next game. And then nothing's really changed since then. So we can look at that fourth quarter and be like, okay, this might be a turning point. And maybe they have a good game against UCLA. But is this just not what Matt has said earlier? We're talking about they're playing up or down to their level of competition. Sure. So as soon as next week happens against, hypothetically, Oregon beats UCLA to have a great offensive performance, yada, 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 they go play Colorado next week. Are they going to go stomp them 42 to nothing? Or are they going to win 24 to 17 like they've been doing for three weeks straight? Real interesting stat. Um, I just don't want to spend too much about it, but I think it needs to be said. Anthony Brown has... Uh, the highest quarterback rating in the Pac-12 in the fourth quarter, 202.22, completing 59% of his passes, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is second at 199. Um, Six of his 13 total touchdowns have come in the fourth quarter, 69% uh, completion percentage uh, for quarterbacks, uh, for, for DTR. And if you're curious of where Anthony Brown's quarterback rating is over the course of a season or a course of a game. Um, it was 202 in the fourth quarter. Over all six games he's played in, his QBR right now is 139.34. So he is he is substantially better in the fourth quarter than he is in the first three quarters combined, which is pretty crazy um, to think about. Quick injury notes. 
that we have. It does sound like Forsyth is playing. It does sound like Mace Funa is playing. Crystal Ball said that Braden Swinson is full go. Um, now KT will be full go because he's ready to go and doesn't have to deal with that first half suspension that he dealt with against Cal. This team is as healthy as it can be when you factor in the season-ending injuries and whatnot and take those out. Um, so injuries should not be an issue. Offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead is traveling down to the game. He will be calling this game. This week was the first week where he was able to get on site, um, was not in practice. So that's going to factor in here a little bit. You know, Moorhead was saying he was going to go able to go into the office in the afternoons. Um, we'll see how much – that impacts things there. Um, but overall, this is a, a top 10 team coming in where they should be, theoretically, if we're to believe what we've been told, that Oregon is as healthy as they've been in a while, which especially defensively should be a huge help. Yeah, no help coming at inside linebacker, which still hurts because you're still relying on freshmen and walk-ons right. that are former walk-ons. And that just is what it is. That's the way it is all season. But as Matt said, they are getting so much healthier on the edges at on top linebacker. Um, and that was a position group where not so much about that will spot, but they were at, at times without Kayvon Thibodeau, Mace Funa, Braden Swinson, uh, Trevin Maai missed some times, Jake Shipley missed some times, Adrian Jackson missed some time. And that's like six guys. Those are probably their six top outside linebackers. And they each at least missed a little bit of time over the course of the last six weeks. Um, all of those players are expected to be available in some capacity this week, unless Jake Shipley is still out, which actually is the one in my head. I actually, I'm not sure if we've heard one way or the other on. Um, regardless, that's the, the low man on the totem pole of that group I just mentioned. Um, collectively, they're just a lot healthier. Um, getting Alex Forsyth back, I think, is really big. Um, I'll be curious to see. This is something that Mario Cristobal didn't provide an answer for, but how does the starting lineup reshape now with Forsyth back? I assume... You just move Ryan Walk to right guard, but what do you do with the tackle spots? Is Big Solid mm -hmm. the right tackle that Stephen Jones? Um, do you maybe move one of those two to left tackle and take George Moore out? Do you leave George Moore at left tackle and have one of those guys play right? Um, interesting to see how that falls out. But, yeah, collectively they are as close as they've been in a while from a health perspective. Obviously still down numerous guys for the season, but um, you love to see that. You love to see a week where they really weren't hit with an, another season-ending injury. I'm, I don't know this for, for sure, but – that's probably the only week all season that's been the case, like where there hasn't been an announcement of like, oh, somebody else is now out for the year. Um, this feels kind of like a novelty, which is interesting because it shouldn't. Um, but let's, you know, I guess to just hope they go into the game and come out with a similar injury report because it, it feels good, I think, I'm sure, for the team to, to come out and not going like, oh, there's another starter we have to replace with somebody else. Eric, if you could pick your starting five for the offensive line, what would it be with Forsyth now? I don't think you do anything different with the guards and the centers. I think you got TJ Bass at left guard. You've got uh, Forsyth at center and Ryan Walk at right guard. Tackle is tough for me, man. Um, Matt brought up a point about left the left side being where a lot of the pressure comes from. I think he's not off on that. And do I suggest it? I don't know. Maybe maybe you, you take out George Moore and you put Stephen Jones at left tackle and and have Big Saul at right tackle. Like for my money, that would probably feel like the best group. I don't know if they'll do that because Mora is kind of entrenched as that veteran, one of those veteran leaders on the line. Um, but from a talent perspective, that might be my pick. Jones at left tackle, Bass left guard, Forsyth center, Walk right guard, and uh, Big Sala at right tackle. I don't even try to pronounce his name anymore. No, don't. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would do the same thing. I was pleasantly surprised that Oregon uh, didn't 
constantly rotate their offensive line against Cal. I thought that was one of their best offensive line performances of the season, which, mm-hmm. you know, surprise. Uh, but it is it is super beneficial that Oregon now has a healthy front seven. Uh, with KT finally playing his first full game of the year, which is very strange to hear, but that's true. Uh, he and Swinson are getting back into shape. Uh, Adrian Jackson will be back out there. Mace Funa is good to go. Uh, you know, that's those are a lot of important guys to have, especially at a game like this. You know, it's a super critical that Oregon uh, you know, forces pressure against DTR and tries to keep him contained within the pocket, try not to let his let his legs do the work. And I think all of those guys are going to be extremely impactful for how Oregon's game plan is in order to keep DTR in the pocket. Uh, again, no, you know, there's there's nothing coming at linebacker in terms of, of, of health. You know, Drew Mathis and Justin Flo should be out for the rest of the season. Um, but Jeffrey Boss is a name to keep looking for. He played well against Cal, I thought. Uh, he's going to have his hands full with UCLA's offense. Uh, all the all the crossing routes they use, their tight ends. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough for Oregon secondary to really batten down the hatches. But I think with that front seven being healthy, I think it's going to have a, a huge difference in how UCLA runs their offense and getting the ball out. You know, it's going to be a lot more pressure, even when Oregon just sends four or five guys. And you saw it against Cal. KT had 11 pressures and 22 pass opportunities. It's unheard of. I don't think he'll be that effective against UCLA. But, you know, if he were, that would be absolutely absurd. Like 50% pressure rate is, is just bananas. So I still expect him to be extremely impactful. He's, you know, the best player in the country for a reason. Um, and if, you know, if Oregon is to, is to win this game, they're going to need their defense and their front seven to be, to step up. And it's important that they're healthy at this point during the year. Let's transition over to some of our predictions for this game. Um, I'll start off with our offensive individual. Um, I think we're going to get maybe Travis Dye's best game in his career at Oregon. Um, I'm going to go and say that he's going to follow up with his 200 all-purpose yard performance against Cal, and he's going to do it again. He's going to have another 200 all-purpose yards, and he's going to score three touchdowns in this football game and be the complete focal point of this offense. It's going to be a weapon on the ground. It's going to go for 100 on the ground, and he might go for 100 on, on receiving yards as well. I think – Knowing Anthony Brown loves the check down, knowing Oregon is very successful in the screen game, um, and knowing Travis Sy is just very good in one-on-one situations, I think this is going to be kind of one of those storybook performances. Comes back home, playing in the Rose Bowl. His brother is going to be at this game. He's going to ball out. By the way, Scopel Domus had three correct picks last week, so go me. That's my best of the season. Three out of three out of five hit, and the ones that didn't hit, one was Kayvon Thibodeau having two sacks, which is boy, that was pretty close to hitting in terms of just the amount of pressure he got. That could have easily been a four out of five weeks. So I'll pat myself on the back. Um, I agree with Matt that I think Travis Dye is a big game. I think it's also imperative somebody else steps up, and I think this is the week where one of the backup running backs has a nice day. I think Matt predicted something similar last week. I'm going to kind of steal from that, and I'm going to project. I'm not going to name which backup it is because I still think it'll be somewhat by committee. Cardwell probably gets the first touches, I would imagine, based on how he's performed and and kind of what we've seen from the staff in, in selecting those reps so far. But I'm predicting one of those three freshman running backs to have 75 all-purpose yards or more 
in this game. I think, like Matt, I think the running backs will continue to be weapons in the passing game. Um, it, it does seem like Anthony Brown, those are easy passes. Those are successful passes. Oregon has good running backs that out in space can make people miss and collect yards. So I, I think I think you'll see um, not just Travis Dye have a big day, but also one of the freshman running backs with 75 or more for all-purpose yards. I have another wide receiver prediction. I came mildly close last week with my Johnny Johnson having five receptions. He had like three in the first, uh, what felt like 20 minutes of the game, but tailed off towards the end. So I'm now going with two wide receivers. I have Devin Williams and Jalen Red combining for at least seven catches, 100 total yards, and one touchdown. Uh, I think Devin Williams, again, showed you last week what he can be. Uh, I love Devin Williams. I've talked about this before. I love his size, his speed, his jump ability. He's just probably, I think, one of Oregon's most talented wide receivers, if not the most talented wide receiver they have on the roster. Uh, Jalen Red, just a dog. He's going to fight. These are both Southern California kids. Yep. They're, I won't say that they're back home because you know, it's kind of lame because they're from all over the place. But they're, they're going to have fans in attendance. I think Jalen Red was telling you, Eric, was it 40 to 50 people that he knows are going to be at the game? 40 right? to 50 to 60. 40 to 50 to 60. So 40 to 60 or 40 to 50 to 60. Those are his words, 40, 50, 60. So there's going to be, you know, fans for them in the audience, family members, people they went to high school with, stuff like that. I think this is a game where they, they show out. And UCLA's secondary is good, but I, I really do think that, you know, Jalen Red and Devin Williams can, can outperform and, and get open and, get open enough for Anthony Brown to, to, to get on the football. All right, let's go to offensive award or offensive predictions. Um, I think this is going to be a game where it's going to be a little hot or cold for Oregon and they are going to be dealt some unfortunate turnovers or mm -hmm. bad penalties. And so I think this is a situation where Oregon's going to have at least two turnovers in this football game. And they're going to have at least one drive that deals with some kind of run of bad penalties. Doesn't mean they don't overcome it, but I think Oregon's going to get in their way a little bit um, and turnovers and some and at least one drive that gets really pushed back with really just really bad offensive penalties. I guess I have my green yellow sunglasses on because I'm I'm making a pretty significant prediction, which is the offense totals its largest offensive output in a Pac-12 game. Um, last week against Cal, they gained 454. It's a good number of yards. I also say, like, it's not a crazy thing to suggest Oregon will gain more than 450 yards in a football game. Now, it's crazy when you see what they've, how they've produced recently. Jared had a smirk there because he's going like, yeah, well, did you not watch this offense and what they've done? Um, <laughs> I'm, being a, I'm being a glass half full guy today. Um, I think the run game does a large portion of this. I think, I think Oregon's going to have some six, success running, which is – counter to the narrative because UCLA is a very good run defense, one of the best in the country, um, one of the best in the conference as well, obviously. If you're one of the best in the country, you're probably one of the best in the conference. That's how that works. It's simple logic here. Um, but I think Oregon's going to run the ball effectively. I think Anthony Brown will play, again, not a incredibly impressive performance, but enough one where he it gets the ball out in space enough where they can have some success throwing. I'm not going to sit here and predict until I see it he's going to throw for 300 yards and, and light the scoreboard up. But I think the offense does enough to get to 455 or more. 
I had this, I had the same prediction. I had over 450 total yards of offense and zero turnovers. Um, that doesn't translate that it's going to be like a lot of points in the board for Oregon because mm-hmm. they did, <laughs> they did exactly or not exactly that, but they had two turnovers and 450 total yards of offense against Cal and only put up 24. Um, this was a tough one for me to predict. I just felt like going very basic and bland because that's how I kind of felt about how Oregon's offense would perform. So this is it. I, I feel like they'll be able to move the ball, but not be able to convert in the red zone or convert on long drives. And I don't think they'll throw a turnover because they don't take shots down the field. All right. Defensive individual awards. Um, I'm going out all in here. I think UCLA wants to run the football and they will want to run the football a ton, especially seeing how Stanford and Cal, two of the worst running teams in the conference were able to see some success against that Oregon defense. Um, I think that's going to factor into this prediction. Noah Sewell is going to have 18 or more tackles in this football game. 18? Wow. Was he Brian Erlacher? That's incredible. He's had 15. He's, He's done 15. That's only a couple more. And when you factor in that UCLA wants to run the football a ton. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's a lot. I love it. No, I, I love it. That's big. That's a big number. But do we do we know the individual game record for Oregon? It's probably in the 20s. I think Michael Clay had like, didn't he have 20 or 21 tackles against somebody back in like 2011 or 10? Probably something like that. I don't know. Probably. We can figure it out. I like it. Um, I'm also feeling like this is a game where the Stars – Shine bright for Oregon. Um, I think Kayvon Thibodeau picks up right where he picked up or right where he was at last week. Um, five tackles in that second half, one tackle. Do you have the info, Jared? I have I have the info, yeah. What is it? Uh, Larry Wilson, 22 tackles in a single game in 1983 against Houston. Michael Clay did have 20 against Stanford in 2012, though. So he was two off. That was that was the, that was my only recollection of somebody recently who got got near that number or was in that, that range. Um yeah, I think Thibodeau picks up where he left off last game. Um, I'm was just like, man, he just couldn't be blocked. Now, Sean Ryan, the left tackle for UCLA, is a, is a good player, one of the better offensive linemen in the conference, probably going to be first or second team all-conference, I'd guess, by the end of the season. Um, that'll pose some problems. He'll be a bigger obstacle than poor Will Craig, who I think is still emotionally and psychologically recovering from what he went through in that second half. Oh, uh, well. It was like before the play started, he was he'd already lost and <laughs> it was over. Um, I think Sean will probably stay, Sean Ryan will stand up a little better, um, but I do expect Gavon to have a big day. And my prediction is a career best in tackles and a career best in tackles for loss. Um, I'd be, I was a little surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be because of what his role is, but a career high in tackles only has to be eight tackles. So I'll predict that he had five against Cal in the second half. So if he doubles up that production, he'd get there. And then for tackles for loss, the previous highest three tackles for loss is freshman year against Arizona. So three and a half or more tackles for loss in this game. So eight tackles, three and a half tackles for loss or more for Kayvon Thibodeau. And I think again, another a big performance when the, you know, when the in the big moments, it, I just feel like he shows up and this feels like a big one. And he's especially been good against either you you know, in the Pac-12 championship games or, or big moments. I just feel like this is an opportunity for him to, to really shine. I'm going with another Oregon player who usually shows up in the big moments. I've got Verone McKinley third. I think he'll get over eight tackles. This kind of feels like a game where Verone can use his speed and his hitting ability to 
to make contact over the open field or chase down Dorian Thompson Robinson if he turns the corner. Um, I also have Verone pulling down another interception. Ooh. Uh, this just feels like one of those games where there's going to be turnovers that happen. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson doesn't always turn the ball over, but he definitely has a couple pass attempts a game, at least from what I've watched, where you're like, oh, no, 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 yes, where it comes down to a UCLA defender or an offensive player. But uh, this, yeah, I, I just, I think that Verona is going to be all over the field in this one. He always steps up to the moment. Uh, he was great against Ohio State. He's been great basically every game that he's played this year, and I, I don't expect anything different from him. All right, defensive team predictions. UCLA and Oregon both don't turn the football over all that often, and I think this is going to be a game that breaks that trend for both teams. So while I did say Oregon's offense will turn the football over twice, I also think Oregon's defense – will force at least two turnovers in this football game. Like Jared, I think uh, Verone McKinley is going to get one of those. And then I think you can also um, tack on Kayvon Thibodeau being the reason another turnover happens. It could be DTR runs out of the pocket because of the pass rush from Kayvon Thibodeau and another player comes and forces the fumble or a throw – gets rushed because of Kayvon Thibodeau and it gets intercepted by Verone. But I think, I think both those two players will have their hands uh, on being responsible for forcing some kind of turnover uh, for this UCLA offense. I have UCLA rushing for fewer than 200 yards. Um, and that's pretty significant because this is a mm -hmm. brilliant team that has been held beneath that number just twice this season. And one of those right. was, was 198 yards against Arizona State. So that's like basically all the games this year, aside from Fresno State, where the Bulldogs held them to 114 was the set I saw earlier. They've done it. So this is I would require Oregon's defense playing a lot better. Um, statistically, they rank sixth in the conference. But as I, I mentioned in my Scopal Dama story, they're seven yards per game shy of being third. It's pretty log jammed there from like three to seven or eight. So um doesn't take uh, – this is not, I don't think, a back end of the conference defense against the run. I know they've had some issues. I also think, again, they're getting healthier. Um, they are not going to solve their issues at well linebacker. And this might be a game where you have to play a lot more Keith Brown than Jeffrey Bassa because Brown is bigger and better against the run than Bassa but not as good in coverage. And so I could see UCLA maybe playing on some of that and targeting Keith Brown in coverage because he's not very good in that area. But I think overall Oregon will do a good job against the run. So fewer than 200 yards rushing for, for this Bruin offense, which, again, has – some real dudes, both on the offensive line and that running back. Uh, I also had an under prediction on, on total rushing yards. I had 220. So similar idea. UCLA's offense is unbelievably potent in the running game. I also had, I think, Oregon's team defense will get six tackles for loss total and four sacks. This kind of feels a game, like a game where uh, a sack might not necessarily be what you think, where like the quarterback sits in the pocket and takes him down. This kind of feels like a Dorian Thompson Robinson scootering all over the place and getting tackled behind the line. Um, but I, I do think that because of the health of Oregon's front seven, we haven't seen how good they can be. And this to me feels like the game where you you figure it out. Like you sit there and watch and be like, oh, this, this is what we anticipated going into the year. I see, I see. Um, and that, yeah, with Kayvon, with Mace coming back, with Braden Swinson having another uh, another week to, to get the rust off, I think Oregon's defensive line really dominates this game. 
really makes a big impact. All right, game predictions. Um, I kind of teased it at the very beginning, but I've been uh, very vocal that this team plays up and down to its competition, and I think they are going to play up, and we are going to get one of Oregon's better games this season. Um, even though I have them committing two offensive turnovers, I think the defense will also kind of pick up you know, when, when the offense makes a mistake to get the ball back. Um, I think this is going to be one in which Oregon in the second half is going to be losing. And they will come from behind, and they will win this game. Um, they're going to win it by the thinnest of margins, 31 to 30. And I think we're going to look at it as a point in which this team kind of gets that really big win and kind of sets the table for like everything is still attainable. If you guys can do what you did this week over the next course of two months and this will, we'll go back and we'll look at this game much like we did in 2014 when these two teams played in the Rose bowl um, as a, a moment where things just clicked on and the team started to play better and better each and every week. Um, so I think that's going to be this week for Oregon. 31-30 victory on the road uh, against UCLA. Yeah, I, I, it's been an interesting week kind of deciding what I, which direction I wanted to go. I think at times I felt maybe UCLA was the better pick, and it still may be the safer pick, honestly, just from this Oregon team. We haven't seen it week to week be consistent enough to sit here and really confidently say a win is going to happen. But I guess maybe I'm just a homer, and it's hard not to pick again. It's hard to pick against Oregon, so I will pick Oregon. Um, I, I think it's a really competitive game. Clearly, I think it's I think it's one where both teams trade, you know, quote unquote knockout blows. Um, I think Oregon ultimately wins the game in the fourth quarter, and again, I think it might be another Anthony Brown leads them to victory after three quarters of, I don't want to say bad play, but maybe he'll subpar play, and he performs well enough at the end, and you just kind of go, this is what this team is, though. So, they're going to scrap and maybe not play great for three quarters, but when the game's on the line late, they're going to they're going to have the, the answer. So I have it being a weird scoring game because I figured Chip Kelly will go for two randomly at some point and get it. So I'm going to say it's Oregon 31, UCLA 25. That is a weird, weird scoring game. A little scoregami action for you. There you go. Um, yeah, I thought about this one a lot. Um, Good. Really kind of went back. Thanks. Yeah. Really it would be weird if you were like, I haven't thought about this at all. Yeah, I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. Um, really have gone back and forth in it. Uh, ultimately, I think UCLA is going to win. Uh, I have them winning 38 to 30. I just, despite Oregon's overwhelming talent and the fact that they have won, won a lot of their games, they only lost to Stanford on what could be considered some, you know, malicious play from the referees. Um, I just, I, I can't sit here and say that with confidence that Oregon's going to beat UCLA. I think UCLA is a really good team. I think they've had, you know, a, a bad loss to Fresno State and a bad loss to Arizona State where they just, against, especially against Arizona State where they just didn't look competitive for most of the game. Yeah. But Oregon hasn't, they just ha haven't done what they need to do. And I, I, when watching them, it just, it's it's a struggle because they should be you know blowing teams out. They should be you know getting up by 25, 30 points at at, at sometimes. But yeah, I I don't know. I, would I be surprised if Oregon plays up to the level of competition? And, and frankly, if they blow the water out of UCLA, no, not at all. 
And that's what I'm worried about in this prediction where it's like, yeah, I think UCLA is just the more consistent team. I know what I'm going to get with them every single week uh, at, at most of the time. But with Oregon, the last month, it's been – it hasn't been a, a great sign for them going into this matchup. So I have UCLA winning 38-30. to 30. Interesting. I mean, I, I definitely think with my pick, 31-30, I mean, that's as close of a win as you could ever get. Yeah. And I, I – I feel like Oregon is the better team, but like what Jared said, I do also think UCLA has been the more consistent team. So um, I'm not trying to, to pick both sides here, but I could easily see Oregon losing by eight, like Jared predicted. Like that, that's very possible, very likely in my in my eyes, just as much as Oregon winning. Yeah. And I think the weird thing about this game is, is we all don't have like a good sense. Like it could go truly any direction. What seems like the least likely outcome? Sorry, I know we want to get out of here, but like, is the least likely outcome Oregon gets boat raced or you or they boat race UCLA? Like, what what do we think is the least likely to happen? Because I agree, like I, this game, I think will be close, and I think it could go either way. Like, it's a total coin flip. But like, do we think it's more likely Oregon wins big or UCLA wins big if if one of those is going to happen? I think it's more likely that Oregon just destroy. I think it's more unlikely that Oregon just straight up destroys UCLA. Um, I think we've seen some issues with Oregon's defense, the bend but don't break type style where they end up getting turnovers and that's why the defense doesn't break. And so I could see a scenario where they don't get turnovers, the defense gives up a ton of yards and UCLA just puts up points. And on the flip side, you know, Oregon's offense can't get going. I, I don't see a scenario where Oregon's offense is just straight up dominant and their defense is straight up dominant for the length of four quarters just because we've never seen it before yet. Yeah. We haven't seen we haven't seen them do it. Same. That's that's I right. Think, I think the most unlikely scenario is a tie. Ooh. I yeah. like hot take, hot take. But in all reality, yeah, same way. I, I mean we haven't seen Oregon offensively dominate somebody at all this season. So that's obviously the answer for the least likely chance of anything happening. Gonna do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. And until the next time you hear from us, I know for certain you'll hear from Eric and I from the Rose Bowl. Uh, I'm not sure if Jared will make it on the show or not. That's to be determined, I guess. Um, but you'll hear us post game, and we'll see if it's a game where we're talking about a, a victory and Oregon's pushing up into the top ten, or if this is another loss on the schedule and Oregon officially being eliminated from the college football playoff discussion. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. 
Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.